I'm having my one. Welcome to episode 21 of the I'm Having My One podcast, dedicated to all things board games. I'm Paul, and joined as always by my fellow monarchs, Tom. Hello. And Neil. Hello. And also this week, we're lucky to have our intern, Seb, with us. Hello. Seb, if you could run along and get me a gin and tonic, please. Anyone else for a drink? Black coffee, please, Seb. Uh, Oh, great, please. Okay, bye. No worries. See you in a bit. See you later, Seb. So whether you're a seasoned tabletop veteran or just dipping your toes into the world of board games, this is the show for you. We'll dive into the mechanics, themes and strategies of various games, as well as provide reviews and recommendations for both new and classic titles. Join us as we roll the dice, shuffle the cards and have fun playing some of the best board games out there. Whether you're looking to expand your collection or just want to learn more about the world of tabletop gaming, I'm Having My One is the podcast for you. Dominion is a strategic deck building game designed by Donald X Vaccarino and first published in 2008 by Rio Grande Games. In Dominion, players compete to build the most efficient decks of cards representing their kingdom by purchasing and acquiring new cards with different abilities and actions. Each game is set in a medieval world where players are monarchs seeking to expand their kingdoms. Each player starts with a small deck of basic cards, and as the game progresses, they acquire new cards that offer various actions and bonuses to help them accumulate victory points. The player with the most victory points at the end of the game wins. The base game comes with 25 different sets of cards, which you then select 10 to be your market deck. Each player on their turn draws five cards and can play one action card and buy one card from the market, although you can increase this with some of the available market deck cards. There's also the option to purchase estates, duchies, and the very valuable province cards, which provides you end-of-game victory points, but be careful because too many of these early on and you'll gum up your hand for future turns. The game ends when three sets from the market deck are gone or there are no more province cards to buy. Count up your VPs and the highest at the end of the game wins. And as the manual states, your parents wouldn't be proud, but your grandparents on your mother's side would be delighted. Dominion is a fast-paced game that typically takes 30 minutes to an hour to play, with over 25 different expansion sets available. Dominion offers endless replayability and strategic depth, making it a favourite among board game enthusiasts. To give you an idea, if you took the base game cards and played through every possible combination sets of 10, you would have... 3,268,760 different game options. If you then went out and bought every single expansion for the game, it would give you 301,812,899,766,338,400 possibilities. This is seen as the original deck building game with only cards and nothing else. Tom, you've said on previous episodes that these deck builder games aren't always top of your list. What were your impressions on the first playthrough of this game? So I thought it was a really interesting one. I think it's actually the first time I've ever played a proper deck building game. I was thinking as we were playing through it just now, every single other game that I've played that um, features deck building, it is just part of something else. I don't think I've ever played. I mean, if you go back, do we call something like, uh, I suppose, set building, really, isn't it? But, but Rummy or something like that is uh, is that a deck builder? I don't know. The OG. But it's always been part of another game. So um, whether it's Lost Ruins of Arnak or June Imperium or something like that, is that 
that building element is always another element. So it was a new experience for me, and I think I enjoyed it, really. I was surprised how long it took, though, actually. I had expected it to be a short game. I know it was the first time I played it, and so maybe playing a little bit slower, perhaps, but I thought it was going to be a sort of 30-minuter and the kind of the game that you'd then play several rounds of almost in of an evening or it's a something in between or or whatever right but it actually took us quite quite a while to play i think normally when we play at home we're usually within the 30 to maybe 40 minute mark to play a game of it um, right but uh, of how of how many players three four okay fine um sometimes two i actually find the player count doesn't massively increase the play time because the the market deck is the same. So, yeah, okay. so maybe the end game victory point scoring is lower. Actually, you know, it might add a bit on, but it doesn't add masses on. And don't get me wrong, it was quick in terms of us playing, 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 playing. Once, certainly from my point, you got the hang of what I was doing and what the different cards did and, and the combinations you build. That was quick. But the time it took to play the whole game was certainly longer than I had expected. I think we must have been playing it for at least an hour. Yeah, and I think we, I mean, there were a few technical difficulties we were playing online, but I think as as we've discussed before, and, and Neil, you're not a massive fan of playing card games on TTS because I think that sometimes slows things down a bit as well. Big time. I, I, I struggled with the UI of just playing this on TTS, but having played it in person, it is much quicker, isn't it? It's... And I think once everyone's got the game, everyone's in the flow, then it does run mm. a lot quicker. And it's another one of them where when you're at the table, or certainly for me, this is a TTS thing maybe, but you've got more of an idea of what other what cards other people are taking as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a positive or negative for me, particularly about the length, the time that uh, that, that game took. Um, I think sometimes maybe I'm not so interested in card games unless they're super quick um, because often like something's a bit, bit meatier but actually i thought with this game perhaps it it, it did have that, that there's still a you know a feeling that actually the game went on for long enough is that i didn't really start to get to the point of going okay how much longer is this game going to go on for and i felt i had enough time <clears throat> to be able to kind of get the pieces that i wanted uh, sorry get the cards that i wanted to to achieve points at the end of the game i feel when you play the game there's a lot more sort of tactical element okay you're still at the mercy of drawing cards from your deck and some turns are almost non-events because you just don't have anything that can work <laughs> yeah when it's so frustrating we said it through the game right you do have those turns where it's just you know nothing going on because you've just drawn um the cards that are all basically useless yep and i think with it as well once you have played it a few times and you've got to grips with the cards and especially some of the markets. So in the manual, it's quite, quite clever because uh, you can just from the 25 cards, draw a random set of 10, but they've also got recommended sets, um, which synergize and work well with one another. I was going to say that was my next question is, has it got recommended? Is that what we, is that the choice of five that we had at the start that you gave us? Yeah. So, so in the, in the manual, it gives you, um, including a this one's really good for beginners there are six options of like pre-made market decks of 10 the other way you can do it is obviously just pick your favorites or they've got a, a deck of cards which is a copy of each one from the market you can give those a big shuffle and then just deal out 10 and that will be your market deck i've tried it before and 
I think it gives you a good base, but sometimes it's just not balanced enough if you're just doing it randomly. With, with experienced players, could you maybe even draft it as well? Yeah, like definitely. Take it turns to pick. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting way of doing it. Yeah, I like that. One thing that, that I did think that in terms of that, those turns that you had where you couldn't do a great deal with it, that you did build up quite a big deck. Again, <clears throat> other experiences of deck builders are that uh, in other games are that, that, that you don't have a huge amount. Maybe you've got 5, 10, 12 cards, something like that. Whereas here, I don't know, I think I had 30 cards in the deck, something like that. I, say, I think it was about 35. And so it becomes quite difficult to manage and there's quite a lot of chaos in there because you're just shuffling up and you get what you get right um so i think that was something that i hadn't expected to 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 have such a a big deck to be playing with that that just is a, a random draw um the sort of it's a deck builder I was going to say it's actually difficult to manage what you're getting out, which is true, but it is relatively straightforward to manage your deck. Now, that's one of the things I quite liked in this is actually more than I've seen elsewhere. There are a lot of uh, opportunities to discard cards or get cards, you know, trash them completely out, which I think was was good, um, maybe to address the fact that, you you know, there is a big load of cards in the game and you're going to cycle through a lot and, and always have quite a thick deck there. Yeah, so I think I ended up with only 23 cards. And, and I think this game does it does lend itself to a more experienced player. You know, I've, I've, I think Neil, this is your second time playing it, Tom. It was your first time. Yeah. You know, I'm, I don't know, 15, 20 plays of this game. So I, I think actually that gives you a big advantage. I think. Is that what you're meant to do? Because normally with those, any, any kind of deck building game, I would always, you know, Neil, you and I have been playing Undaunted Stalingrad a lot. And you want to really be aiming for just the right kind of level of cards in your deck, not too many, not too few. Um, so you know that you're getting the cards out that you want to be able to move your pieces around the board. Um, do you think actually probably Neil and I had too many cards and actually we needed to be looking more to be sub 30, you know, even getting towards 20? Is that what a really good play would do? Is is you know, I was buying cards all the time which actually normally I wouldn't do, but, you know, just to experience the game I did, should an, an experienced player, a better player, actually have 20 cards max in the deck? Yeah, I think so. Um, there, there are some cards that allow you to trash cards, which are good, but there's also other cards that allow you to discard cards. So if you're going to maybe sit with a bigger set of cards, actually those discard, okay, they're going to then cycle through, but they're quite handy as well. I, I, I Yeah, as I say, I think there's some advantage to have having played the game a few times. I, I wouldn't say that there is. This is the way to play. It's you a know. sort of game that's been around for so long, though. That I bet there are known strategies, and you know, it's the sort of thing. There's tournament play of it, I think, isn't there? And so there will be yeah. known things that actually an experienced player would do. That would be just you know, these are the cards you buy. Those are the kind of order that you want to get them, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? Yeah, but but also given given that, I mean. In in the final point scoring, I took thirty seven points and Neil took thirty three points. But the province cards are worth six victory points. So, you, you know, it was it was one big victory point away from swinging the the end result. So it was. It got me to thinking that one kind of hand fairly early on, where I'd cobbled together eight gold. Do you remember? And I said to you, "Oh no, I think it's probably too early." Like that one province card. Had I bought it. 
could have been the difference. Obviously, there's the butterfly effect. The the other card that actually I think really hampered Tom and I that you went in early on was was the witch card. So do you want to explain that, Noel? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, so you play the witch card. It does. It's not one of the ones that gives you additional actions. So this is like the end point when it comes to actions. Uh, but it means that the uh, the opponents have to take a, a negative one curse card into their hands, a negative one victory point, and then it also is going to serve to gum up their hand. So how many um, how many of those did you guys end up with at the end of game? At the end of the game, four. But I think I discarded at least three. Yeah, I was going to say you trashed some out, Paul. Yeah, I ended up with four. Well, in the game, we started with 20 curse cards and there were four left. <laughs> so there were 16 that filtered out into the game at some point. It was so annoying. I, <laughs> they, I had a, definitely at least two hands worth where it was some combination of victory point cards and then all the rest were curse. There's just nothing you can do there. But, but isn't that like a great little element that there's there's curses, but there's also other sort of they, they call them attack cards aren't they where you might have to discard down or actually even lose um one of your copper one of your money cards completely yeah. out of the game and and i think that's that's a brilliant element that they've put in there because i think sometimes in some games it can feel so solo played that you're all doing your own thing and there's no way to affect if someone's kind of stretching out there but this adds said- a little balancing yeah, I said to you in game though, I was surprised, and I know it's to do with the cards that are out, but I was surprised there weren't more cards or it didn't happen more. That's what I mean, really. Um, I did think that the you can buy these moat cards which protect you against an attack. I think in hindsight, they were useless. I wouldn't <laughs> buy those again because it's so difficult to get one in your hand and they are not really that useful. Okay, you can play one and draw two more cards so they're, they're all right, but... Given given my time again, I wouldn't buy those cards. I would just buy more cards that allowed me to get rid of the curses altogether. Just on the buying, yep. isn't this really similar to Quest for El Dorado? When we were talking through how to play it, the whole buy card, deplete the... I don't know if it's just that's a deck building thing generally, but deplete the pile, move stuff around, you know, that, that, all that kind of thing um, reminded me a lot of the, the Quest for, for El Dorado. I think, okay. uh, I think El Dorado does that really, really well by only having three of each card and then like you say but then i guess the difference being that we had on our bar uh, on our buy phase we had a choice of 16 cards because we mm-hmm. had the 10 market the three money and the three um like provincey cards yeah whereas in el dorado you only ever have the, the the choice of five available and then when one of those five becomes available then you get to pick which which set of the extra market cards to bring in so i think i think eldorado does that really really well does does but do you know what i mean because there's some similarities there but i actually don't know which game came first but i wondered whether there's a bit of uh one one looking at the other um but except that's maybe just you know the market idea and, and the way in which that works fairly commonplace in those kind of uh, deck building games i would imagine you said you'd never played a card only deck builder. Have, have we never, have neither of us ever played Hero or Star Realms with you? No, no. Mental. Despite the fact you guys love it, we've never done it. Because there's Sorry. always something else to play. And I'm always, you know, if you ask me, am I going to do that or, or brass, I'm always going to go brass on it. <laughs> there is a stigma that you don't enjoy card games. Yeah. I can't quite remember where that came from, really. But like oh, I can trawl back through the episodes where you say, <laughs> I don't like deck builders. <laughs> 
a lot of other deck builders. So I'm kind of thinking Star Hero Realms, Clank, you know, even Arnak, Dune, things like that. The the market deck does change through. And there's kind of a, a hope of, well, I'll buy that card in the hope that something better comes along. But again, the other one of the things I do like about I'm I'm a big fan of this game. And one of the things I do like about Dominion is you you know what you've got. I mean, you're you're gambling on the luck of drawing the right cards. But your strategy of what you're going to buy, you can kind of plan out. I feel there's there is more strategy to this than some of the other deck builders, where you're kind of just hoping to get get lucky on something popping out that's useful to you. Yeah, I think so. That that'd be just way too much chaos in this game. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do like though the way that it, it something that appealed to me in this game is the. Just say building your strategy and planning okay assuming i get the right cards i'm going to do that and then maybe i can get one of those and do that and do that which you could plan to a certain extent subject to the the randomness of what you, you were drawing but when you got one of those combos right where you drew exactly the right cards and you could go and i'm doing this one and i'm doing that one and then you picked up another card and it allowed to do even more you feel so smart when you're playing card after card after card <laughs> yeah. you know the people around the table just sitting there like mugs waiting for you to to finish finish that uh, that combo yeah it's a it's a wonderful feeling when it finally all clicks in <laughs> yeah i thought the artwork was a bit mixed for me i think there's probably i would say it's decent not excellent but decent but there's some really funny ones when we were having a quick look at the expansion cards the festival ones um stood out paul it was the festival card is awful that artwork so they're not the expansion they're all just from the base oh are they okay some dodgy garden gnome on the on the front of it i i would say that this is one of one of the cons for me as i would say the theme isn't isn't really up to much yeah i mean it's it's very much generic noble land with monarchs trying to increase their kingdom through a, a medieval feeling of building stuff I think it holds up. It'd be interesting to see what it would look like if they made it now, but it's it's definitely an older game. You know, 2008, I think it, 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 you know, it's got that artwork where perhaps things would be a bit more vibrant, a bit, a bit different. I think as some of the newer versions have come out, I think they've changed some of the artwork in this first and second edition. Right. It was okay. It was fine. You know, just, you know, that we say, I think we talk about it quite a lot, that games that were out 2010, 2011, before that, maybe a year or so after that, are quite different to games that are out now in terms of the quality of the artwork and so on. But actually there were games out around that kind of time that were were excellent, right? So I wonder whether I actually sort of give it almost as an excuse um sometimes in terms of the the, the quality of it I'm, the, I'm thinking of something like um game of thrones board game for example um i know it's fantasy flight and they're always very good at the art side of things but that and the prior to that i think the game of thrones card game which i didn't love as a game particularly but the um the art there excellent really really good so yeah you know, although i think it's, it's not that... necessarily everything of that era was was just a bit dodgy and now it's all excellent you know no, although I think what that benefited from was it had a very specific IP. 
you know, yeah, but it, you had those preconceived characters. So when long before the TV show, though, right? So it was all is all somebody being created, designing, yeah. designing that. And I know, sure, in in the novel, can continue to use it, that that example in the novels. There would have been a description of what Ned Stark looks like with and without his head. Spoiler. Um, but then what? They, what? Uh, there's still a creative element there, right? They've got a good designer to to create those. Yeah, but you, you are right, and it's something we talked about um, on the previous episode where we talked about like Acropolis, which is just a very generic. It's not a place; it's just very generic tiles. Uh, and yes, I suppose you're right. This has kind of got a very, you know, it's not medieval Britain, it's not medieval France, it's just generic old timey lands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about ones? Uh, who had any ones? I had a couple of learner ones. I had one massive one <laughs> from uh, from choosing, just you know, not knowing the cards very well. Play it, play it, play it. You know, someone knows it better. Paul, you'll say, okay, look, if you did that and then you did that, rather than what you'd um, what you actually played, then you'd you'd have a better outcome. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I think it's stuff. important to sort of say that on your turn, you get to buy one thing and you get to do one action. But other cards give you extra actions. Um, I don't think we had any that we we played with in this set, but some give you an extra action, some give you an extra two actions to play more cards or buy other things. But it's really important that you play the cards in the right order for that to kick in. So if you've played a card that doesn't have plus one action, you then can't play your plus one action card after that. Yeah, so I think it's always going to be a game that... that... I would probably argue even with experienced players, if you're playing reasonably quickly, just the brain time to be playing those uh, in the right order that, you know, allowing a one to say, oh, no, take that back, put that one first, then I can do that one kind of stuff. Neil, any ones for you? Not for me, no. No, I think it was just Tom, although I feel as someone that's a lot more experienced, it's always a bit harsh to take ones when everyone else is kind of new to the game, but, uh, you know. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But we we don't care. Spirit of spirit. I'd have I'd have still done it if I needed it. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, okay then. What about scores, Neil? I think this is a really really good game for what it is. Um, I would always be kind of happy to play it. I don't know if I would be the one suggesting it every time. So I think I'm at, and maybe I need to check some of my other scores. I think I'm at seven and a half, which is still a good score. Yeah, same score as um Power Grid for you or blood rage yep tom i think i'm i might push it a little bit higher than that i'm not quite putting it at an eight but i do think that it is you know i was i was surprised how much i enjoyed it actually no that's not fair i'm surprised i think i enjoyed it i think maybe i push it towards just only a couple of points more like a seven point seven eight nine almost Almost as as uh, much as something like Wingspan, which I think I put something like an eight. Let's go 7.8. 7.8. Great. Uh, and and actually for me, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, it's, it's a very popular one in our house. Uh, and I think a game that you can play regularly is always then going to be a bonus, isn't it? So that was Dominion. I personally am a big fan of deck builders. So if you think there are some better deck builders out there that we should try let us know i'm having my one at gmail.com so we don't just play games on this podcast oh no we also play them 
at every other available opportunity. Neil, <laughs> why don't you kick us off this time? What have you been playing? <laughs> yeah, so I've played a fair bit this week, but sadly nothing new or exciting to the podcast. Um, we played some more Too Many Bones, which uh, which we had previously started on a different week and saved to continue. Uh, we ended up losing to the big boss in the final battle, but it was good to, to have a game with four players. So I've also been playing uh, some Final Girl. I've been focusing on uh, fighting Geppetto uh, as my feature film, but at this stage I haven't managed to beat him yet. I've had, uh, with Tom and uh, another friend, I've had my second playthrough of Brass Lancashire, uh, this time in person with my Deluxe Edition, which um, really, really looks great on the table. Um, and Roxley's Iron Plays are such a great addition to uh, to that game. It it sounds so menial, but when you use decent poker chips, um, especially like organising the turn tracker for to see who goes next, it's so much more convenient than faffing around with those cardboard coins. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yeah, I agree. They're great, really good to play with. Um, it's it just is a nicer experience, isn't it? That is one upgrade that I would always be in favour of. Yeah. Um, I think my previous review stands that perhaps I think this sits slightly above Birmingham in my affection. Um, yes, yes. I almost did my first ever overbuild action as well, but I found a way around it and I took a little one and I didn't end up doing it. But <laughs> it's just I the guess... sacrificing the points. It's don't <laughs> want to do it. But I definitely think that's going to become a relevant action in in a four player game because, like yeah. we say, that board is so much more tight. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, the only thing that, that we've never really talked about on the podcast, uh, Louise and I have played a bit of card games this week and we played a bit of Gin Rummy, which is uh, a bit of a blast from the past. Uh, Mum's coming down over the weekend. I know she loves a game of that. So uh, I thought I'd get Lou up to speed first. Love some Gin Rummy. Card games are great. I agree. <laughs> I'm Tom and I endorse this message. I do I do enjoy the simplicity of just a deck of cards and and playing a game. That's why I thought um Regicide when that first came out was such a great idea. Because mm-hmm. it was just someone being creative with a deck of 52 cards. Yeah. Excellent. So that's what I've been playing. Thanks a lot, Noel. Tom, what have you been playing? Uh I have been playing 2022 Starship Captains again. So we did talk about this a bit on the previous episode, so I won't say a load about it. Um but we had another game of it with my family this time and enjoyed it a lot. Uh, as uh, I think I said last time, Czech Games Edition is very good at these mid-weight complexity games that are bright and have a bit of humour in them. I'm playing this now with my family who are all um, are all Star Trek fans, really. They, they knew far more of the references than I think when maybe you and I played it, Neil. Um it's definitely a keeper for the collection. Um, I look forward to to playing it again. It's not one that I'm like, oh, I must must play that again and again, but uh it was it was it's good, it's very enjoyable. Yeah, it's a game I I'd really like to play. I've I've not played it. Um the artwork's really eye-catching. Uh, I really like it. And it's kind of got a bit of the have you watched the um Star Trek lower decks on Amazon Prime? I haven't, but I think I know what you mean. Yes. Which is good. It's, it kind of sits in with that uh, quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are lots of little things all the way through uh, that are the little on the mission cards primarily that are little Star Trek references. Um, like on one of them, you go and try and 
collect some rodden berries um, from from one of the <laughs> one of the planets, which is a, a nice little thing. <laughs> oh, really good! It's worth playing it just for that one reference. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's funny. I just didn't pick up on those as much when we were playing it, Neil. But the second time, you know, heads a bit more out of the rules. Um, there's loads all over the place. It's good stuff like that because there's there's always like little puns and little in jokes that you miss the first time or even the second time round. So it's like games like that keep giving, don't they? Yeah, like the the Android Home Planet. I only really realised the second time of playing it was to called Tin Can. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. Um, and then finally from me, um, I went to Mums and we played a game called Careers. It's an old game. Um, it, in a way on the table, it looks a little bit like Monopoly, but it's so much better. Um, it's her original copy from 1957. So uh, it's vintage. Uh, and this is actually a very clever game with moving around and trying to trying to enter different career spaces to achieve fame or happiness or money. But uh, what's really clever about this game is before you start, you pick how much fame or money or happiness you think you're going to earn uh, up to a total total score number. Um, but that doesn't always then help in your game plans. It's a game Neil and I grew up playing um, and we really like, and, and I think it's got a lot of nostalgia. I think that tactically there are a lot better games out there but compared to those games of just roll the dice and move around the board, this is definitely a great step up. You say the uh, the the secret element, like it was one of the first games as kids that we were given a piece of paper and a pencil and told to write something in secret and fold it over <laughs> in terms of like your predictions. That was really good. Yeah. It's currently out of print at the moment, but actually you can pick up copies for sub 20 quid still. So on the on ebay and the other things um and then finally a game i just wanted to touch on with tom is independently we have both finished the adventures of robin hood the first playthrough of the campaign and uh without giving away any spoilers and i know we've talked about it a lot so it'll be brief but just to quickly touch on on that tom yeah i don't have a huge amount more to add on the gameplay because we've spoken about it um you know quite a lot from fairly passionately already in in defense of it really um but perhaps just on the campaign bit itself have we completed now i think it's really fun there's some good story development and complexity progression as we've spoken about before and the narrative is quite good there's a little aha kind of moment in the story which um which was nice and a, a final sort of time pressured bit as well um, I think it didn't quite work out so well so well for uh when I was playing it. It, it that last last bit of the last mission actually ended up being quite easy just through luck. Um Yeah, we had the same thing actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. May, maybe that would always happen. There is one thing um about the game that I think could be a bit tougher throughout, which is the guy of Gisborne character. He's the only baddie character in the in the storyline who gets a meeple on the board chasing your characters around it just doesn't really do it very often like there's a penalty basically if you're if he captures one of your um one of your characters is a penalty and it just 
doesn't really happen it's very easy particularly as you get upgrades for your characters later it's very easy to to avoid uh avoid him and so i think that maybe it happened sort of once um through the whole playthrough um oh, man so I, i'm clearly doing it wrong i got caught like four or five times did you <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it wasn't wasn't really an issue like especially in the last mission i was essentially a sacrificial lamb but that that is another thing actually i think if you if you're playing with enough characters you sort of can just lead them one way and then the other because it always has to chase the 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 nearest character so with a little bit of planning you you don't really have a have an issue with it i don't think will you get the expansion do you think there is this uh was it called something to do with fryer tuck i spoke to the kids they're keen to get the expansion i'm going to look into it um but also i've i've not actually been on the site but uh in the back of the book it says that there are some other missions that are free to download on their website so we might look at those okay cool Hmm. um yeah, overall, the storyline, I thought, was very good. As we say, it's a brilliant family game. Um, it's it's very well done and on a great price. So, yeah. But, you know, if you've got a family, pick up a copy. It's a lot of fun to play through. Agreed. And, and actually, you can play through the campaign again, and it varies it slightly. And like we talked about on the last episode, where they add different rules in, Again, yeah. the, the the rules have then changed for your second playthrough. Yes, yes, uh, yes. All all the way through the the narrative book, right? There were if you're playing this through the first time, look at this. If you're doing it the second time, and and the way in which things change a little bit, and and yes, some different different ways in which some of those missions will will shake out. Um, I'm not tempted to do that. I feel I've played it through once. It's it's going. Um, and you know, in the future. Maybe, maybe we'll get it back in when the kids are a bit older. Yeah. Well, the the good thing for uh, you, listener, is that's us uh, finished wanging on about Robin Hood for. See where it needs to listen to that. Um. So they're the games we've been playing. We love to hear what you've been up to, uh, especially if it's not one we've played before. We always love uh, looking at new games. We've got a growing community on Discord, so why don't you join us there and share your games with us? Now it's time for us to have a look at the Board Game Geek hotness in the section we call Six of the Best. Tom, what is your first choice for us this week? So mine is Cascadia Landmarks, which is the newly announced expansion to Cascadia, which was last year's Spiel de Jahre winner from Flat Out Games. Yeah, this is the game where you build out habitats and place species on the board with these gorgeous little tiles and tokens, and you're collecting points based on building contiguous habitats and and following uh, the the tokens are based on species behavior uh, and so on. In this expansion, there's just a bit of getting more more tiles. Um, different species that uh, you you can you can play with, but also landmarks as well. So these add to the vista that you're building, like all these tile games that we like that you build that out as you play. Uh, and it also gives you more ways to score points and some variety in what you're doing as well. It does add a, fi- a fifth and sixth player options. There isn't a ton more out about it at the moment. It's only been announced quite recently. It is out later this year. I think they're going to try and coincide it with Essen. Um, and I love Cascadia, so it's probably something I'll be, be taking a look at. That's uh, the Cascadia 
expansion landmarks. I think there's literally all you can find is the picture of the front cover, right? They've they've released nothing else yet. So absolutely nothing. Um I saw I'm not sure whether <laughs> how much this was a joke or not, but I did see um one little thing about them trying to dispel the rumor that one of them, one of the landmarks was an active volcano. That was the only extra I saw. <laughs> We we all like Cascadia. It's a beautiful little building, tableau building game, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I think we'd all be excited to see more of this when a bit more's released. Yeah, and being able to play it with 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 more players, it will increase the play time a little bit, I suppose. But I shouldn't think so. It's pretty pretty pretty. Special. I think more players is exciting, but I worry that it might just be stuff. I think there's an argument for that, yeah. But actually, I I have thought that in the past that the five, I think it is different species that you get in the base game, could be supplemented. So I think that is an interesting uh, piece. You know, maybe there's different habitats. Is that that exciting? I don't know. Landmarks, we'll see. But having different species to be able to play with on the board, add a bit more variety there. I think that's fun. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, Tom. Neil, what's your first pick for us? So my first pick is um, an old game returning to the hotness. Uh, so this is Santorini. So Santorini is a strategy game for two to four players. More on that later. Uh, designed by uh, Gordon Hamilton. And this was designed all the way back in the best year that's ever been, which was 1985. Um, and this was gradually developed over the years until 2016 when Roxley, uh, Roxley Games took it on board as a Kickstarter. So it's a game inspired by the architecture of the cliffside villages of Santorini or on the Santorini island in Greece. Um, players are going to take turns moving one of their two pieces around a little five by five grid, um, placing tiers of a structure. Um, on subsequent turns, players can move up on top of these structures if they want, but only one level at a time and then add further pieces uh, to the board, whether uh, at ground level or starting to build the, uh, the structures up into two or three tiers. Um, you can also add the iconic blue roofed or uh, blue domed roofs uh, that you'll uh, that you'll be familiar with if you've uh, if you've ever been or seen Santorini. Um, and once a blue domed roof goes on top of one of the structures, it's considered finished and kind of blocked off. You can't build on it anymore. The winner of the game is the first player to ascend to the third tier of the building. Um, but the game is then spiced up by players taking on the roles of different gods, all with slightly different powers, making uh, quite a tense, uh, engaging chess-like game for, for two players. Now, I believe this is uh, back in the hotness again because it has now returned to Kickstarter with two new editions. Uh, one called the Pantheon edition, which I guess is their way of doing a reprint. Um, this features a plethora of new gods, revamped rules, and some new components. Um, and then the Riddle of the Sphinx edition, which features a one-to-four player co-op version, including an adventure book where you kind of play what looks like you play kind of from left to right um, through and explore different scenarios across the Greek Isles. This one looks great. Um, especially because it's another like it's another final goal where the box like opens out and flips out and then in the core of it the the ring binder of the adventure book is already built into the box so it's like a flip open and play the box is part of the 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 playboard which i think is a good use of space 
Um, I will definitely look to pick this up, but I think in retail because it's an American Kickstarter, it's going to be subject to huge shipping and taxes. I think I'll just get it when it when it comes out over here. Um, the other caveat that I said I'd return to later is I don't think I'd ever play this at anything other than two players. So each player takes control of two like workers or, or meeples or whatever we're calling them. And in a four player game, it's basically two teams of two and you control one worker. But that, you know, kind of like Star Wars Rebellion, right? It's a two player game. It's yeah, that, that's all it's good for. Um, but I know Paul, you and I have played a bit of this. I I I love Santorini. It doesn't get to the table enough. It's one that I wish Lou enjoyed a bit more because I think we'd I think it's the sort of game that we'd play, but it just didn't click with her. But fantastic strategy. As you say, there's a real chess element to that, isn't there? Planning, you've got to plan a few moves ahead. And I don't think I'm quite bright enough to play it. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, but you still bloody win it all the time, though, don't you? No. Sadly not. <laughs> so for me, my first pick is Architects of the West Kingdom. This is uh, another game by Shem Phillips. It's a slightly older game. It came out in 2018. It's a worker placement. You're set in the Carolinan Empire AD 850 as royal architects, and you're looking to try and impress the king by building nice things. And it's a wonderful Shem Phillips worker placement game, which we all like we've all enjoyed the reason this is in the hotness is it's just been released on board game arena uh which was a platform we've kind of dipped our toes but not really got overly involved with um but but a fantastic site if you know if you struggle to find people to play games with there is a constant massive online community um if you want to play architects it is one of their premium games on Board Game Arena. On Board Game Arena, there's a load of free games that you can play. Um, this one is a subscription. Uh, Neil, I think you looked into this. Three or four quid a month. It's not It's not break the bank expensive if you're going to do it regularly. Um, yeah, we just weren't going to, right? No, but if you're a free member and someone else is a premium member, then you can still play these games. So you can join like a waiting lobby and, and get involved. Um, so if you want to play through Architects, um, you don't have enough people or, you know, you can't get it to the table, then this is a great way of doing it. It's my first pick. Neil, what's your second choice for us? So my second choice is Beyond the Sun, Leaders of the New Dawn. So this is the up and coming uh, expansion for Beyond the Sun uh, by... Um, Rio Grande Games and Dennis K. Chan. Uh, again, not a huge amount being released for this so far, other than it's going to be providing some, uh, dare I say, asymmetric factions. Um, I think the uh, the factions in the core game are asymmetric by uh, by in quotation marks in that, like, one of them gets an extra ship to start and the other one gets an extra coin. Like, that's not asymmetry to me. And I think... It's more of that kind of very, very basic level of difference between them. Um, it does incorporate a solo mode. So I think that that would be um, quite good for some people. Um, again, one that I'd like to maybe have a go at if it's at UKGE or, or maybe at Essen. I think it's in the hotness now because a couple of retailers started taking pre-orders for it. 
Um, I tried to find a definitive release date and and some were saying early 2023, which I feel like we've done early 2023 now, um, <laughs> unless that was the US release. Um, I think one of the sort of the bigger UK retailers were quoting August as, as the release time. So, yeah, be keen to, to have a little look at more of that when it comes around. Uh, obviously, Beyond the Sun, uh, we've had uh, or I've talked quite a length about. Um, so, yeah tech trees tech trees in space and this is more tech trees so we'll see how it goes we really need to play the base game again don't we i mean i'm noticing a theme here <laughs> just need to play more games yeah just play more games um, if, if any of our listeners out there happen to have a couple of million kicking about and just want to sponsor us to play games and we'll tell you what it was like then uh, please get in touch you don't have the time to play games, but have lots of money. We're happy to play all the games for you. <laughs> and we'll tell you what a good time you could have had playing the games. Tom, what's your last pick for are you six of the best? I've picked uh, Firefly. This is the much-lauded 2013 game based on the cult one-season space western TV series of the same name. However, it was in the hotness this week uh, due to a 10th anniversary edition being announced on GameFound, uh, a campaign being run by Gale Force 9. Uh, those guys who just absolutely love an IP, it seems. Uh, it was them who published the original, actually, in 2013. The campaign is only in its preview phase at the moment, uh, but looks to be another one of the big box versions we've seen elsewhere recently where you got the base game plus all the expansions in one premium huge box. The main game, as I say, is hugely popular. It's a bit like the Battlestar Galactica game was for Hidden Traitors uh, mechanics. This is sort of talked about as one of the best pick-up-and-deliver games out there. I hadn't, haven't ever played it, but I don't think you guys have uh, either. Uh, but having looked at it and the gameplay in prep for this, and an interest about the campaign, it's actually very similar to a game we know well in Star Wars Outer Rim, Um very similar features of having an upgradable ship, picking up cargo, sometimes it being illegal, delivering it. There's characters there with skills that you test at various stages. However, it does look like it's got quite a bit more going on. Perhaps it's more akin to something like Merchants and Marauders, that, that pirate game. Um, it's got more mechanics going on and there's a story mode you play through for each game. So I think if you love the Firefly TV series, you just would really appeal to you, or maybe it's just something that you're intrigued because of the hype around the, that original game from 2013. And check out the campaign. According to the comments on the page on GameFound, uh, there should be more of an update out in the in the next week as to, to delivering what's happening with that and so on. I am going to follow the campaign myself. We'll see where it ends up. I expect it would be a very expensive one. Um, but I'll, I'll be interested to to see where we go. Um, the game looks cool, though. Um, having having spent some time looking into it, uh, I, I think it actually does some of the things that I've found frustrating with um, uh, with Star Wars Outer Rim. Uh, right. Finally, our sixth of the sixth of the best is Age of Innovation, which is by Helga Ostertag, uh, published by Capstone Games. Uh, this is due out later on this year and is a standalone game set in the Terra Mystica world. Again, there's just been like some teasers at the moment. There's not a huge amount of information uh, being, being published from it, but it's already picking up traction. Um, it, it looks like a fun game. 
Neil, I know you've been a lot more sort of upfront and saying that we need to get involved in the, the world of Terra Mystica. Um, maybe this will be like the push we need. Um, but, you know, again, it sort of follows the same sort of themes, um, building buildings, merging them into cities, um, using your factions, your homelands and your abilities. So, you know, it's not the same game over and over again. It's, you know, lots of lots of different ways of playing it, which it does look cool, but I don't know why. It's just It's never quite clicked. Maybe this is the game for me to help it click. Has it clicked for you guys that this is Fantasy Gaia Project? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. right, right, fine. I'm surprised that they're still like pushing for Terra Mystica, Terra Mystica because I was under the understanding, having not played Terra Mystica, that Gaia Project fixed a lot of the complaints that people had with Terra Mystica. So I then just assumed that everyone would just play Gaia Project now. But, but maybe yeah, it's this got is a very way... loyal backing, isn't it? Yeah, maybe this is the way of getting the people that weren't interested in the theme of Gaia or, uh, you know, dare I cynically say it, just uh, milking the uh, the franchise a bit. Mm. Yeah, I'd definitely be up for giving Terra Mystica a go. Um, so, as you know, the BGG hotness is ever-changing. We'll be back in two weeks with even more things to tempt your purse strings. <laughs> Finally, for this episode, we get into miniatures in games. What we mean by this is those lovingly sculpted little resin or plastic characters or monsters we place on our board to move around instead of a token, standy or wooden block. In this episode, we'll be focusing specifically on board games and not into the wider war game market, such as Warhammer 40k, Napoleonic, Star Wars Legion, Armada or X-Wing, Dead Zone, Song of Ice and Fire, Crisis Protocol, Frost Game, to name but a few. We're not going to talk about any of those. We're going to stick primarily to board games. If we did talk about the others, you'd be able to listen to this podcast whilst you played through an entire campaign for North Africa. So, Neil, miniatures in board games, do they make them better? Uh, I think certainly can do. So examples where I think they make them better, uh, Blood Rage, um, luckily made by Cool Mini or not. So I think definitely is a Cool Mini. Um, I try to envisage a game like Blood Rage just using cardboard tokens and that wouldn't hold anywhere near the weight. Maybe standees, but yeah, something something like Blood Rage where, um, you know, it's it's an area control game. It's got you know, different little mechanism, but it has got a bunch of, of really, really good looking minis. Then then great. Um so so yes they can, in my opinion, make games better. Um I don't want to have like my whole thought standpoint. So that's just one example that I could think of of uh yeah minis making game better. Tom, do minis make games better? Yes. Very thoughtful <laughs> yes. <laughs> So think about this in the prep. I wasn't 100% sure where I stood, but I think I am now. I think there are games that are better for having them. Um, but it's hard to say that they couldn't sometimes be changed out with cardboard standees. But one of the things that made me sort of sway on the side of, I think I think they are a, a good addition, just as a component of the game, is something like, if you look at, games that are relatively similar that have taken different approaches dead of winter uses cardboard standees for its survivors and its zombies 
Zombicide, Last Night on Earth, both use the plastic minis. And I don't think there's much competition there for me. I think that the minis of the latter two games are a really good addition uh, and, and do, do add something into that. I think one of the things that um, maybe talk some more about specific games later, but is it depends a lot on the sculpts. I think is that you've got, and if there is a game that has a lot of the sculpts are just the same, like let's imagine all the zombies are the same or all the the hero characters are the same, then that's much less interesting. If there is some variety there, then I think that's that's a good addition. I recognise as part of that, that probably means it's more expensive. It probably means, I, I don't necessarily know why for this, but it probably means some environmental impact as well, I would imagine. But certainly it um, it adds something. Um, and, and I'm talking about in a, in a person, I know we're going to get on to, to this perhaps a bit later, but not someone who paints minis. So even in their their base gray gray plastic form, um, or whatever it is, they're, they're still a good addition, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think um, through um, listening to some of our listeners on Discord through the chat there, I think you've kind of highlighted a few things they were talking about about it. You know, it pushes up the price of the games. Mm. Um, you can end up with just like a field of gray blobs sort of scattered about the place yeah. um but i i mean i think overall we're, we're kind of in favor you know i think about like last night on earth and mm. things it it adds to the immersiveness of the game i think you know when you pick up your little sheriff character and he's got his little sheriff's hat on and a little pistol in his holster and you know you feel like right i'm i'm in i'm you know i'm Whereas if it was just a generic meeple or token, I don't know if I'd feel... I think there's I think there's a difference between a game that has like miniatures and a game that has like you know fancy plastic paint me please minis. So case in point being like Hero Quest is you know a bunch of I guess do you know you know like the 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 D and D minis you've got like the Reaper Bone series where they're like a softer material, so yeah. they're not as high a grade of plastic and the print quality's not as good, but they've got the cheerleader effect where when there's loads of them on the table, it's you know it has more of an appeal, and I think I think like I think for me that Hero Quest pitches minis perfectly where. They're there, they're a gesture, they're nice enough. They're not, they're never going to be like the fanciest G, uh, Games Workshop sculpts, but they're there to make the game pop and to make life interesting. And do you know what, actually, I also think that um, Hero Quest did, did the job well by having a green plastic for goblins and orcs, a white plastic for, you know, sure. the undead, and, yeah. and, and, and a grey plastic for the bosses mm. and red plastic for the heroes. Mm. Yeah, that that made a big difference. And... Yeah, we will talk about painting a bit later, but those soft plastic ones are actually a real pain to... Oh, they're ball and, and they never look as good yeah. as some of those finer sculpts. Um, so what about games that have maybe got these plastic minis in, but is potentially a bit redundant? So for me, the Skyrim game, like the minis are gorgeous. 
they serve absolutely no purpose in the game because they're nothing else is a mini. Now, I guess you could have done the the like the monster upgrade pack, but even then, that's only going to be like the trolls, the daedras, the vampires, the, like the roaming monsters. So that's a that's my biggest example of a game that didn't need minis. Uh, I you know I really loved Skyrim. See previous episode, but the the one thing where they overdid it was the maps and the minis. You know, the map is absolutely huge unless you've got a big uh, gaming table. Mm. You're going to really struggle for space for everything else you need. Mm. You, I mean, you, you. I think it would have been too small, but you could have almost got away with like a, an A4 map to move some little blocks or a standee about for it. It's It's more representative. It's more about the text on the cards and the encounters you're having, I think, rather than where you're stood in the world. Um. Yeah, so so I, I agree. Skyrim was top of my list where it really didn't need the minis. I have to say, though, the sculpts are beautiful on those. They are very, stunning. absolutely stunning. Very high end, very good quality. Tom, it's anything you like any... that. So I was going to say Skyrim I put down as well, <laughs> tediously, but anything where they are just like a marker on the board, right? Is that they're serving no real kind of purpose oh can you say that's really is that any different to any of those games we've mentioned already i don't know but um i don't know because it's, it's kind of just that your your we talked about with the board as well right that the the board is excessively big and you know do do you really need the minis on there or actually could you just have something that moves around um i don't, I don't know i think anything like that i do i also think that you know sometimes can they be an unnecessary indulgence that you know going back to the thing about the cost that there are good examples of games in slightly different spheres that are not maybe role-playing type games that have minis and how useful that is there are a couple of examples one of them is um the 878 vikings game that we played yeah. it has some really nice little um mini vikings and saxons and on the same series, okay, same publisher anyway, there is a, a Birth of America series where it's, it's one about the American Revolution and one about, I think, um, the War of 1812 and things like that in Canada. Exactly the same sort of mechanics being used there, but they use little coloured cubes instead. So a little bit like Cuba Libre, for example. Um, another example is Britannia, a game that I'm a big fan of, original of that back in in old old days were little actually fairly difficult to to work out which was which counters they could be better um <laughs> <laughs> but in the version i've got now uh, by psc games it, they are again little uh little plastic minis it looks cool but it's totally unnecessary it doesn't really do anything they were as as cardboard counters or in the case of the other one as the the little wooden cubes i think it does a a perfect job i think i think for me especially with those games like 878 vikings and stuff that over little colored cubes and i'm not against little colored cubes for those sorts of things but it feels like you're zooming out a bit if that makes sense like when you've got the little things that look like little vikings it feels like you're there amongst the vikings having the battle swinging your axe you know, getting your shield maidens involved, stuff like that. Whereas 
when you then zoom out to cubes and thinking Cuba Libra stuff like that, and you feel like you're more overseeing the entire thing. You don't feel right. right. So maybe it's a tactical versus something that's a bit more strategic, I guess. Right? Is, is it is it a a map of Great Britain, Great Britain, or is it a um, you know specific representation of some battle or something? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it is important. I know Tom, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think we do need to be more conscious of our environmental footprint because not only are we adding more plastic to the world, then we're invariably creating bigger boxes and so therefore Mm -hmm. increased shipping and, you know, because you can get less units in a container when you're moving it across the world and, Mm and things like that. And I, I don't know, it's... We're not, none of us are environmentalists. I think we're all trying to do our bit. Um, but yeah, sometimes, and it, it's not just obviously the miniatures. Sometimes I think board games have got too much plastic in them that could be used. And it has become over the years, we talked about this last episode about um, Kickstarters and how, you know, cost of board games has gone up over the years, even just the the, the year or so that we've been doing this podcast it feels like the costs continue to rise all the time and it was and continues to be a thing with kickstarters uh or let's call it crowdfunding more generally is that it just has to have a load of plastic and it has to have a load of minis and it's not it's not quality game if it doesn't and and certainly yeah it, it doesn't feel amazing um when when you have those kind of things. However, look look at some other games that are out there, right? So Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, no, no plastic minis in that at all. Hugely, hugely popular. People absolutely love them. Um, you can have a great game without them there. But then this is it. There's always a there's it there's always a bit of a yin and yang of this, just looking at my my shelf here, that War of the Ring. There's no way that War of the Ring would be as popular, just above it, Twilight Imperium. Can you imagine playing Twilight Imperium without having little plastic ships to to be moving around? Star Wars Rebellion. Star Wars Rebellion, right, is that, again, you want your tiny little X-Wing, right? (laughs) I mean, just for clarification's uh, sake, Gloomhaven, Frosthaven do have hero minis, right? They do. I'm sorry. Yeah, they do. I so I was thinking of like uh, all the the many. All, all, yeah, all of the all of the, the, the enemies are on standing. True, true. Yeah. It's kind of minimum. It's just your heroes. You're quite right. Battle law, memoir, those kind of things. I was looking at memoir memoir on my shelf. So That's yes and no. About. Like yes and no. I think it's there's a toy factor about it, right? With something like that. But the entire. Okay, right, there's two. Red Alert, is it called Red Alert, the space one, I think, and um, and Memoir have plastic minis. The entire rest of the Command and Colors series are not. They are wooden blocks. Yep, um, well, Battle Law's minis as well. Okay, Battle Law as well. Um, okay. But Battle Law, like, when you're deploying your giant spider, I don't think I'd like a little wooden block. I want a giant spider. <laughs> well, all right, but if you were playing something like Command and Colors Ancients, would you want a little war elephant or a little legionary plastic figure or you're happy with a block then? I am happy with a block, but maybe blocks for everything apart from the war elephants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're right. And 
you know, Tommy and I play a lot of block war games. We're playing Richard III at the moment, Hammer of the Scots and Crusader Rex feature uh, a lot. And and those games give you the fog of war because you can't see actually what the other players' characters mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, the I think it still can be immersive with blocks. So I, I guess it's it's picking the games. I think maybe something like the new Scarface game that's come out that seems to have minis. But again, they just seem to be placeholders, and I don't know how much that really adds to it. <laughs> but we're not really coming down one way or the other on this, are we? <laughs> This is an unpunched copy here of uh, Heroes of Normandy, which is a fantastic two-player cardboard. Two-player memoir, basically, and it's all cardboard, every single thing. And do you know what I really like about this is, like, let's show you one of the units, say, up here. The thing that um, Heroes of Normandy has got going for it is that every unit's all of their stats are printed mm-hmm. on the cardboard representation of right. um, of what they are, and I really, really right. like that. I, this this is something that I need to get more into. And this and and that's great. And I think if we look at something, um, a game that I I do, we all love and have played a load and, and talked about the minis. In fact, so I'm not going to go about it, about it a lot. But you just made me think about Nemesis in the way in which you track the damage you just put these little cubes the board you've got a few aliens going on a few fights going the board's just littered with that and yes there are ways that could have a little counter you know almost like a star wars armada um this how many strength points scott but again it's more plastic it's more components it's more um within within that box and needs to be paid for and shipped and so on so having something that that enables you to to kind of see and track a uh what's going on with a particular unit or, or character that is not plastic i think is a is a good way of doing it but then nemesis is one of those games that just absolutely wouldn't work if it wasn't minis i was going to say that's the one game where we talk about like gloomhaven where you've got plastic miniatures for your characters and cardboard standees for everything else i'd want it the other way around if if you were going to do that i'd want Cardboard standees for my little character and then a giant plastic alien. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, so sure. if you want to paint your minis, and do you know sometimes that's the real big selling point of a game? You're looking, you're looking at it and you're looking at like a painted copy, and it really does lift it. Uh, and it's it's something you've got to enjoy, something you've got to be passionate about, but um I don't think actually getting into painting is overly expensive. It can be, but I don't think it has to be. So, Neil, if someone wanted to paint their minis and they've not done so before, what would you recommend? Right. So first off, you need to work out if the minis need assembly. So uh, this is one of the things that caught people off guard with Aliens Another Day in the Core was that that came with with you know buttloads of 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 alien and and marine uh minis but they were all on sprues so forget even being able to paint like some like a lot of people don't really know the intricacies of of putting minis together right so you need snippers to get them off the sprue you need some sort of stanley or exacto knife um to to clean up the cut lines you want some sort of mold line re- remover although to be fair i just use the edge of the exacto knife 
you then want something that's going to help you to prime or undercoat the minis. Now, for a lot of people, the easiest thing to do is to just use a rattle can. Yep. Um, so, you know, a 10, 15 pound, you know, um, it doesn't have to be the Games Workshop or the Army Painter ones. You can just go to Halfords and get some some acrylic primer. Um, the step up from there is then, you know, when people get really noodly over it, you might want an air, you know, a, 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 an airbrush to, to to do all that stuff so, with. But so we we can get into that. Let's let's okay, stick right, on. Yeah. So so, right, so basically, starting... you need you need a, a rattle can of primer. Yep. You need an old bit of wood or something and a bit of blue tack to mount the minis on to paint to prime them. And then you need some sort of twenty quid Games Workshop or Army Painter starter set that gives you a brush. It gives you a bunch of base paints. It gives you a wash. Um, and it gives you like one or two highlight paints. And really, that is it. Because, you know, and you want to paint, paint a bunch of things that are the same so that when you put them all down together, like your first model is probably going to be a little bit shonky. Um, but if you paint five models all the same, five models always looks great, even if it's, but like even if the paint job's rubbish, a bunch of models on the table always looks good yeah. Um, because of that mass effect. But yeah, that's all you need. And maybe a little, you know, an old coffee cup to use for your, for your water, for your rinse out, a bit of paper towel to dry your brush every now and then, and you're away. Um, the, the only thing I would add to that is, especially if you're going to go with Army Painter or some of the others, is they do these little metal mixing balls. And Army Painter is because I use Army Painter. I think the paints are brilliant, but they're notorious for you know you've you've really got to be cranking that arm for a long time to get a good mix in the bottle. But the, a couple of those little balls in there make all the difference. Yeah. Um, I think word of warning, perhaps when you look at some of the online tutorials, not to knock any of these guys that they make they make painting look really easy and they do a fantastic job of it. But you seem to want, you know, every single color under the sun and, you know, every single type of brush on top of whatever you get as your generic in a starter set brush. Go down to your local hobby craft or somewhere like that and pick up or even like the range if you've got one near you, pick up a, a number two and a number one sable hairbrush, um, which are only three or four pound each. You can spend a lot of money on brushes, but it would be all you need to get started. Sarastro on YouTube is very good for painting. So he painted the uh, Journeys in Middle Earth set with just a starter set of paints where, you know, he also then shows you how to mix paints and stuff like that. Obviously, once you've watched that and got a couple of tips, it's applicable across any kind of paint ranges rather than some of the other videos and I'm, I'm not going to name them where they're like oh and you need this color which is to do like one dot on one particular mini and you know you shout out four quid on a little thing of paint i would say that i would say that in in my in my prime i got well into painting minis yeah and i i would say that sarastro's got the best intro level channel yes yeah, no in fact sorry it's not just for intro, but but I think he's the most in like beginner accessible painter. Because everyone goes to Warhammer TV and to like all the old Duncan Rhodes videos. But they'd call it a beginner thing, but to paint one ultramarine, you'd need like 
nine or ten different paints because you'd want four different shades of blue because that's the games workshop model to sell you on extra paint right yeah but but what i would say is if you do want to get into painting neil and i paint and we're trying to talk tom around to it um but i i would say for easily under 50 pounds you can get yourself a reasonable setup including even, uh, yeah even less i would say but yeah 10 10 quid for a rattle counter primer 20 25 quid for a starter set of paints a couple of extra brushes for a fiver um and yeah. a couple of little tools for a couple of quid each and you're away can we talk about the next level then or are we getting are we distracting from the main topic let's do it briefly and then yeah so 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 my my best tips to a beginner painter is to go out and do that and stick with that for a minimum of three to six months and make mistakes and get stuff wrong and figure stuff out and and work it out and slowly get a little bit more clever about things and you know what after maybe three months after you know now you're ready to start zenithal coating your 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 minis where you spray them all black and then you do a little white line from you know from directly above because now the white is representative of the sunlight and now you've got a reference to the values and which you're going to kind of paint to after three to six months then get yourself a decent brush once you've knackered out four or five games workshop brushes then go and get yourself one maybe two decent brushes because actually once you've learned to take care of them and you do need to learn to take care of them with cheap brushes first then um a good quality brush will last forever and they'll it just is such a game changer to have a brush that holds like an exquisite point so i use um i use the Raphael brushes um and i think i paid about 18 quid a brush but they've lasted yeah, two years. Um, so do that, and then follow a YouTube tutorial about how to make your own wet palette. That's also a game changer when it comes to when it comes to, uh, to painting minis. Yeah, cool. So that's our little delve into mini painting. Um, Tom, while we've uh, bored you with our, our our little painting discussion, we've hit, we've enthused him. Enthused, yeah, he'll be he'll be off. He'll be skipping like frodo out of the shire to his uh local <laughs> art supply store in the morning all over it um, so overall tom what do you think minis in games yes no maybe on the fence i think i'm just going to be disappointingly on the fence i think yes when it's when it's appropriate um that are uh, the the ways that we we discussed that when it is something that kind of suits the theme suits what you're doing in that game yes if all it is doing is um a fairly peripheral addition component and um, that, that doesn't really do a lot to enhance the gameplay then then no absolutely it's just unnecessary uh, expensive and environmentally crap thank you very concise a great way of summing up so uh Board game uh, publishers, if you're not sure whether to use minis or not, just message Tom <laughs> and, and he'll let you know. Um, and, and, you know, I think we as consumers, you know, can have our say. I think board games, however big as a hobby it's got, I think is still 
kind of small enough where some of the publishers, some of the designers are open to hear from the from the fans, from the consumers, you know, and and you know, let's let's not be putting a downer on on stuff, but if we feel things can be done better, then you know, I think we've got a voice and we can use that. Just something that we don't we've not really covered, like I think wooden meeples are a good are a good shout. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I love is when a game makes multiple uses of the same figure. So think, um, so Tiny Towns does this well in that, um, you know, you've got the shape and the wooden meeple for the yellow building. But then like with Cascadia, you've got a bunch of different rules that the fox card might mean. You've then got a load of different purposes for the yellow building represented by cards. So you've got then, you know, Otherwise, you'd have like 20 different sets of plastic buildings, but instead you've got, you know, five sets of plastic buildings and a bunch of cards that then change the meaning meaning of those of those representative tokens. I'm looking at my shelf. I'm looking at, um, you know, New York Zoo. That's got tons of wooden um, animal uh, tokens in it. I'm looking at... Yeah, which uh, are gorgeous. It's a great They, they great are, example. yeah. Um explorers of the north sea also does that very well with their little wooden wooden mm -hmm. animals mm -hmm. like i really like i really like the way that final girls done their little meeples and and tokens so you've got yellow for the survivors you know the victims sorry uh pink for you red for the baddie but then you've also built in with that you've got one blue one yellow uh, uh, sorry one blue one orange and one white survivor sized token and then in each scenario um, you might discover an event card that makes a use of a specific one of those colored things. So like it might be that, so it's a nightmare on Maple Lane. If you uh, resolve the card that's called boyfriend, then it's like, right, take the blue token that is your boyfriend and these are his rules. And that's a really, really good use of those tokens. So I think what we're, what we're saying in conclusion is Plastic minis or sustainable wooden minis are good in the right context if used properly. And this very middling review of whether you should or should not include plastic miniatures um, really depends on the type of game and not the plastic itself. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, probably. Yeah, although for <laughs> me, I would say that I'm not into painting board games. Yep. So stick with the Hero Quest model for me. Slightly cheaper production quality. I'm okay with that. Right. Well, there are thoughts. I'm sure um, you guys have got thoughts as well. Um, hit us up. We're on Instagram and Twitter. So uh, feel free to get in touch because we actually really appreciate hearing your views. We've all got a lot of time on our hands and we do read every message we get. <laughs> So thanks for listening. In conclusion, board games offer a unique opportunity to connect with friends and family, to learn new things and to have fun in a social setting. From classic games like Careers and Dominion to modern favourites like Starship Captains and Cascadia, there is truly something for everyone in the world of board games. Whether you prefer competitive games or cooperative ones, strategy or party games, there's no denying the appeal of gathering around the table with loved ones and engaging in some friendly competition. Oh, look, Seb's back with our drinks. Sorry, Seb, we're just finishing, but thank you anyway. So uh -huh. 
As we wrap up this board game podcast, we encourage you to dust off your favourite board games, gather some friends and spend an afternoon or evening enjoying the simple pleasures of tabletop gaming. We've been I'm Having My One and we hope you have yours too. Good I have mine. I'm having my one. Nothing, I've been too busy running. Oh. Um, <laughs> Neil's running the London Marathon, everyone. So um, if you would like to support the uh, Neil and the British Heart Foundation, we will put something up on our Discord or somewhere. Except by the time this comes out, I will have hopefully run the London Marathon. Yeah, but it's still good to give to the British Heart Foundation, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's always a good time to give to charity. And do you know what? If you don't <laughs> want to give to the British Heart Foundation and you don't want to support Neil, give to one of your local charities. Go and support charity. It's always uh, a wonderful thing to do. Paul's rather benevolent after uh, after a bottle of red on a bottle, bottle of Castillo de Diablo. That's definitely how that's said. Yeah. Yeah. So I've played. Oh, you ready, Snarfles? Yeah. <laughs>